Welcome to the Artist Interview Series. In this podcast, we feature interviews with some of the brightest music educators and musicians from around the world. Our goal is to provide meaningful conversations and insights into their creative process, to discover the inspiration behind the music, and to learn from the experiences of these talented musicians. Our host today is William Crawford, a Lilly Theatre Company drum instructor and associate producer. In this episode, we spend time talking with trumpeter, composer, and educator, Jason Palmer. So let's jump in and get to know this week's inspirational artist. Hello, everyone. Um, welcome to Lilly Theatre Company Artist Interview. I am the host, William Crawford, and we have a very special guest um, to introduce to you all. Very honored to have him. He is a drummer player. He's a recording artist. He's a professor at Berkeley College of Music. So give, please give a warm welcome to Professor Jason Palmer. Hey, so, everybody. Yeah. Um, so we're, um, we're in April, which is um, considered Jazz History Month. So um, for all the viewers out there, that's um, basically like that's part of April and stuff. And um, so what do you think about all the jazz and stuff that came along with the history and everything? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of the somebody told me once and uh, they said, you know, jazz is one of the greatest contributions that this country's made to the world. So, yeah, that's how I view it, you know, I've seen this music bring a lot of people, a lot of cultures together. So um uh, honored to be a part of the continuum. So, yeah, I think every month should be Jazz Appreciation Month. Um, I think uh, the the idea of April being uh, Jazz Appreciation Month is not a new thing, actually. It's, it's only come along the uh, last couple of decades, if I'm not mistaken. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm appreciative of that, that, you know, labeling of that the month but for me it's it's you know 12 months out of the year yeah i've seen some of you like um like picture you playing your trumpet and you kind of remind me of miles davis like is miles davis like one of your big influences in jazz and stuff uh yeah you know i, I he was one of the first trumpet players that i listened to and and really learned about when i was in high school um him along with there's another trumpet player named clifford brown that yeah. was a, a big, big influence on me. Uh, uh, Miles, you know, he had the the, the musical, ins- uh, you know, inspiration, you know, influence, but he also had the uh, band leader inspiration. You know, he was great at bringing bands together that really, really clicked and and uh, played well together. And and also his sense of style and fashion and, and uh, just the whole attitude that he gave to, um, everything he did, you know, that was that was uh, really impressionable for me. Um, you know, I'm not as flashy of a person as he was, so um, I tended to lean more towards a person like Clifford Brown. You know, somebody who really studied the instrument and and really mastered the art of improvisation. But yeah, yeah, I, yeah, but yeah, I love Miles. I love all of them. I, love, I, I, I was telling somebody a few weeks ago; they were asking me who who I checked out and and um. You know, I told them, I said, I, I've been influenced by all trumpet players who um, played with integrity from Louis Armstrong to Bill Dixon. Mm. And uh, that's a really wide spectrum of of artists uh, that I've really checked out. So, 
So yeah, I try to carry carry that same continuum. It's really good. A lot of great trauma players you mentioned there and stuff. Um, very great jazz artists. So where'd you start? Um, where'd you grow up at? Where's how'd you start your life? <laughs> Yeah, well, I grew up in a small town in North Carolina uh, called High Point. It's, the, it's mm. in the middle of the state. It's the furniture capital of the world. Um, there have been a handful of musicians that have come from there who've made you know contrib- significant contributions to American music. The uh, uh, first one is John Coltrane. He grew up in High Point. Um, wow. Uh, Fantasia Barino, a great singer, did. Uh, and, yeah, so I grew up there. I, I started playing trumpet in middle school uh, when I entered sixth grade, kind of by accident. Um, initially going out of fifth grade into sixth grade, um, I, we all had to take a hearing test. And so if we passed the hearing test, we could sign up for band class. It was one of those things where you put on headphones and if you hear a beep, you have to raise your hand. Um, I have, yeah, it's kind of weird thinking about it now that that was a thing, but, but yeah, we did that. And so if you passed the test, you were able to sign up and take band and you had to list your first three preferences of what instrument you wanted to play. And so um, everyone in my class wanted to play saxophone. That was a popular thing. And so me being, you know, the person wanted to you know, do what everyone else did at the time, I, I listed saxophone. Then I listed trumpet as my second. I don't know what I listed third. But since my last name ended with a P, I got stuck with my second choice because everyone else uh, took up all the saxophone spots whose last name ended before the letter P. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Yeah. So my mother went out uh, to a music store and bought what she thought was a trumpet. It turned out to be a cornet, which is, you know, is very similar to a trumpet. And so I initially started on cornet, which was probably a blessing because that instrument's a bit more compact. So it fit my hands a bit easier. And um, so, yeah, I took band class for uh, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th grade. And all throughout that, I started to build, you know, more more confidence in learning how to play. Uh, um, going into my eighth grade year, I ended up listening to the radio a lot and just taking out my trumpet and trying to play along with the songs that were on the radio. And um, that's what really piqued my interest in how the instrument worked is just figuring out, oh, this, this song sounds like this because it's in this key, you know, and then this song is in a different key. I was like, oh, all these songs have different keys. Uh, maybe not so much the case now, but but yeah, back in the early 90s there was a lot of variety um on the radio so so yeah that on top of uh taking I started taking private lessons when I was in high school with a trumpet teacher named Ronnie Engel mm. and he got me um uh, really learning how to read and learning the repertoire of the classical um canon and so I, I did that and, and I ended up going to a, a music school three nights a week in the neighboring town, uh, Greensboro. They, they just opened a school a few years before I went to it called the Greensboro Music Academy. And there I was able to study with Ronnie and also took uh, some small jazz ensembles. And so I was put in an ensemble and learned about improvisation and everything. And and one night coming home from a uh, rehearsal, I was in the piano player's uh, car and we were driving home. He pops in this CD of this trumpet player, Clifford Brown, that I mentioned earlier. And um, it was a record that he put that put out with a drummer named Max Roach entitled uh, mm. Study, Study in Brown. And on that record, the first track is Cherokee, um, really fast, up-tempo song. And yeah, Clifford that was Brown, Cherokee. 
yeah, he played this solo on that song. I never heard a trumpet sound like that. And so um, I brought it to my trumpet teacher, um, Dr. Engel, and he said, you know, maybe you should learn how to play it. Maybe you can transcribe it and, you know, you know, play the same notes he played and and see if you can do it. And so um, so I ended up transcribing that. And he said, oh, you you you, you should get, you know, deeper into this. Um, so he brought me another CD of a trumpet player named Nicholas Payton who's mm. teaching at Berkeley now. He's a colleague. Uh, he's a visiting um, scholar there. And, and so, yeah, he brought in a record called Gumbo Nouveau of Nicholas Payton. I think it was his second record on Verb Records. And um, there was a solo on that that CD uh, that he took on a song called Whoopin' Blues. And mm. then I transcribed that solo. And, and that's how I got into the art of, you know, learning this music and learning the language of it. So, yeah, it's kind of a long answer to a, question but yeah it kind of set me on on path on the path of you know learning about the music that's good yeah that's kind of um when i was in high school and stuff it wasn't it wasn't really me because i was the drummer but um i was kind of part of it but we um my band director got us to transcribe um freddie freeloader miles davis mm-hmm. you know that song mm-hmm. um so the piano player he played he put the piano player solo and and then um, my friend Ryan, the trumpet player, he did the trumpet solo and stuff. So I mm-hmm. thought that was pretty yep. cool. So yep. um, what was, um, who influenced you to play music overall? Um, well, you know, going to that school did, uh, I was in a combo which had two horns. It were two trumpet players in that group. And the other trumpet players kind of, um, Calvin Cooper. Um, he was two grades ahead of me and he was really encouraging. And, and then there was a rhythm section there. And, and also Dr. Ronnie Engel was, was really supportive. And also the public school I went to um, had a big, big band program of, uh, I don't know, maybe a hundred uh, students that were in the concert band. And I, I was also in marching band and, and I did all state and all regional um, concert bands and stuff and all state band. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think through my high school years, probably Dr. Ronnie Engel was the most, um, helpful and encouraging musician to say, you know, maybe you should consider, you know, um, studying music in college. At the time, I didn't know you could go to college for music because I came from a small town and, you know, I thought you went to college to, you know, say, become a doctor or a lawyer or something. But I was like, are there schools specifically for music? He's like, yeah, there, there's not many around here, but, you know, up north, maybe you could look into that. And so uh, he, he uh, got he got together a list of schools and um, he said he, he really wanted me to study classical and jazz. And so he said, you know, there's a school in Boston called New England Conservatory that has a it's a small school, has a really strong program in both. And so maybe we can put together a um a audition tape an audition tape and um see what happens and so we put together a tape and then I got invited to do a live audition and that's how I ended up in Boston um ended up going to New England Conservatory but yeah he was probably the one that really um got me got me to really get serious about playing and and um into music and then when I got to Boston then I started to uh meet people that were my age who were really serious and they were really influential and me wanting to really get better and dedicate all my time that I had to really practicing and becoming better. Cause when I got to school, 
you know, there was a lot that I didn't know about, you know, a lot of tunes I didn't know, a lot of players I didn't know about, and, you know, so, so yeah, I just always felt like I was in a race to catch up with all the stuff that I thought I should have known before I got to college, so. That's good. I think um, I've heard a lot of people at Boston Conservatory. That's part of Berkeley now. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I went to New, e New England Conservatory. Yeah. Oh, New England. Yeah, okay. Not, different, yeah. different. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah different yeah, yeah. colleges. But mm -hmm. Boston. Like, close, yeah. yeah close Every enough, college yeah. in Boston's good. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's cool. Um, let me see. So, Yeah. Taking lessons, um, well, to me, like taking lessons is not hard, but it, it does take time to practice between lessons. That's hard for people. Um, I find my own students struggle with this all the time. Um, do you feel practice is something that comes naturally or do you have to work at it? Um, for me, it was, uh, I was like a quiet kid in high school. So I was used to being by myself. You know, practicing is is really a, a it's a lonely sport, you know. Um, when you're working on your own personal craft, but when you're when you're rehearsing with others, you know that's that's the the a different a different aspect of it. But yeah, working on your your personal development, yeah, that that uh, didn't it it didn't <clears throat> it wasn't so hard for me because I was used to you know working on stuff by myself. So when I got to EDC, I realized how much work I needed to do, and I had a trumpet teacher uh, named John McNeil who. Um, my first lesson, I'll just tell you the story. He uh, he sits me down. He says, okay, I want you to play a C scale, two octaves. So I started playing the trumpet. And as I'm playing, the trumpet is tilting downwards toward the ground. The bell is tilting down toward the ground. So I was what you would call a pivot player. And he said, okay, if you want to go any higher, your notes can't, you know, your, your horn can't go any lower. And now to do this, he, he took me to the bathroom. It was like, you need to look in a big mirror to see what you do when you play this. And so we went downstairs, went to the bathroom. I played these scales in the bathroom. He said, okay, now if you want to change that, you know, you're going to have to practice this, this method called the Caruso method. And then um, we can maybe change the way that you play the trumpet. It's like, you're going to have to like pretty much start over, you know, change your embouchure. And so I was like, okay, sure. Um, we can do that. And so I put all my faith in him, all my trust in him and, Every lesson, he would give me these these things to work on, and so I had a lot to work on in the practice room. Um, so for me, it it was more about um, really taking what my teacher had because I knew I knew his work and I had gotten his records and stuff before I got to school, and and um, so I knew how much he knew and how much work he had put in. So I wanted to um, just get on that same path, and so so just having a lot of work from him. And that's that's just the, the playing the trumpet side. And then it was also a musical side. You know, he was giving me solos and players to check out songs to learn and stuff. So um, he kind of built the foundation of, you know, you need to learn this. You need to learn more of this. I mean, you know, um, so I, I still try to carry that that uh, responsibility, you know, when I when I practice. Yeah, it's good. Um, it's good. Yeah. Band directors that help you and stuff. We so when you were talking, we kind of, um, I was thinking we, we kind of shared like the similar things when we were growing up, like, um, like I was doing the same thing. I was in marching band, I was in jazz band. Um, I started like even fifth grade beginner band. I think when I started, like 
it was actually conducting, like I saw my my future junior high band director, I was in elementary and he was just conducting. I was just fascinated the way he conducted and stuff. So I was like, this is cool. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I went to that school just because of that, the junior high. And I met I met the band director and we took the recording. I don't know if you had that when you were a kid, but they had the the, the recorder class. Yep. I did that in fifth grade. Yeah. Fifth same, yeah. Mm-hmm. Fifth grade. Um, so I did that and then um I started playing drums that time. I started when I was eight. So I was like, all right, well, let me do the percussion section. So we signed up as percussion. My dad got the usual bell kit and the snare and went there and started doing that and practicing songs and started on, I did on a band my eighth grade. And then I was, I was always, I think we took like tests and I was always like the, the best one. And then, and then I got to, when high school came, I went to football games and um, it was, they call it the junior high nights where the junior high played with the high school marching band. So I used to always play with them. It was always fascinating. I was my cut. My cousin, that's four years older than me, she was in the color guard with the high school. So went there and tried off the drum line and made it to for ensemble freshman year. And then I did tenors, sophomore senior year. And then I did everything like talent's music, symphonic band, jazz band, like every music thing they have they had at that school. And yeah, of course I did high school honor band. Actually, senior year I made um this was like, a, it was like a little bit after COVID because my, we got back like late 2020 and stuff. And we had online on a band auditions and I made first chair for that. Um, I never did. I've tried out for all state, but I never made it. Um, I'm not exactly sure why, but that's in the past. Um, but then I discovered um, Berkeley, like when I chose colleges, actually my three colleges I had was Loyola, in New Orleans, that's where I'm from. I'm from New Orleans, mm-hmm. and um, Belmont and Nashville, Tennessee, and Berkeley. I actually made it to Berkeley, so we, um, yeah. Um, but actually, we actually toured Loyola and um, Belmont, and then, like at the time, 2021, Berkeley was closed, and we didn't know that they were not doing the tours from for Berkeley. So we went there and made. We saw Berkeley, but we didn't go in it or anything. So I never saw the inside of the place until I was a student there. So mm. it was a little complicated, but um, everything worked out and I'm here. This is my fourth semester. So we kind of, we kind of mm. share the same, same, the same things and stuff. I, um, I was mostly self-taught when I, when I did drum set, um, I didn't do, I didn't get like prime instructions till COVID hit. I, when COVID hit, I had nothing else to do. So like, I didn't do any like March band or anything like that. So I wasn't busy or anything like that. So I started taking actually my drum tech. One of my drum techs wanted to teach me drum set. So I was online with him. And then there was another guy named Sam Rumberg. He, I think he did a clinic in Berkeley one time and he he's from philadelphia so um we did lessons online and stuff and then when i came to berkeley i started doing prime instructions and stuff so and go either way um i kind of like the like being taught by someone else because you don't know 
like I don't know everything about music and like either you or anybody else more experienced they know a lot more about music and they can help you out with your um mm -hmm. abilities and stuff so yeah sorry for putting a lot out there but no, I just yeah. I kind of um I kind of have the the same experience as you when mm -hmm. we were growing up we kind of lined up the same way <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah where we're at so um have you played any other instruments other than trumpet i know you play the cornet but any other instruments yeah um well i taught in the public schools for um uh, for many years uh probably like 12 or so years uh and it was in a woodwind and brass program and so i can play a little bit of the woodwinds like a little clarinet blue um alto saxophone we didn't have a tenor uh trombone a uh, little piano can't play like any bach or anything but you know i can comp chords and um drums uh let's see bass we playing a lot of bass and in the past uh about two years i've been working on some guitar hmm. but uh yeah uh, mostly mostly trumpet i'd say is the my main instrument but but yeah in my ensembles at berkeley i have to play a lot of bass and sometimes i have to play drums so yeah you know what kind of ensembles you're doing uh yeah most of my ensembles at berkeley are um small group jazz ensembles okay. and i have a i have a couple of this semester mixed styles ensembles ah yep so so yeah i've been been doing that so since i've been there i've been there for about uh 12 years Oh, in Berkeley? At, at Berkeley, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, I've been here for only two when I'm a student. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I was, um, I did mixed styles. Well, this is my last mixed styles and sound because I'm fourth semester. I'm in the, I think you had to take like four ensembles for your diploma. I'm taking diploma, but um, yeah, I'm, I think I, I did two semesters with, you know, Lil John Roberts? Of course, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. I got, two semesters with him and um and i had two more with um some teachers but like little john is he's he's the beast on the drums i think i'm taking him next semester with prime instructions so great drummer um and for all the viewers out there um little john he's a drummer for janet jackson stevie wonder everybody and stuff one of the um Basically, like with Berkeley, you get taught by big musicians that have been around the world and everything, just like Jason right here. You just one of the big positions, definitely a great school. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to share about like your own music genre, like your own music and stuff? Um, no, you know, you can oh, you can find it. Yeah, anyone can find my music and it's on all the streaming services. Uh, you know, Apple Music, you know, Napster, Tadal. Um, yeah, so yeah, I just let let that speak for itself, you know. Um yeah. Yeah, composing and arranging for, for a long time now. So yeah, I kind of <laughs> skipped ahead. But um um do you feel schools lack music programs like in public schools? I know you teach there and stuff, but like the public schools in in the U.S. or or just in general or um yeah public schools in the U.S. and stuff like yeah, do they lack yeah. any music programs and stuff yes yeah, yes yeah, a huge uh, 
definitely there could always be more you know um and, and you know uh and it, i think it's one of the most beneficial things you can give give a child you know the the gift of being able to play an instrument you know back in the 30s 40s you know your your grandparents age you know most houses had a piano in the house and, and people played so um just the, the value of, of playing an instrument you know can't be uh um spoken highly enough about in this country uh, uh but you know if you look if you look over across the pond in europe you know most public schools don't have public um they don't have music in in the schools it's interesting how that works but uh but I, I think in the, in the U.S. there should be a, a lot more, and there isn't any reason why there 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 isn't a viable reason why there shouldn't be, you know. So, so yeah, that's that's uh, that's an uphill uphill battle. When I taught in the public schools in in Boston, uh, the program was funded by a a program that was put on by VHS, the the TV station called Save the Music program. Mm. So they donated instruments um, to the school and. And then they they you know contract out a, a teacher to to teach and so I taught there a couple of days a week and you know programs like that um, should they shouldn't be necessary because you think you know the 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 property taxes that places you know municipalities um, have should be able to fund stuff like that but it's just a matter of you know prioritization you know what what do what do these uh, communities value you know you know Martin Luther King said that uh you know, um, budgets are moral contracts. So what, what they show what you value. And so um, music shouldn't be as far down the list, in my opinion, as it is. So, so yeah, to answer your question, there should be more more music programs, especially for young young kids. Um, I mean, there there's numerous studies that show the benefits of music education on a young mind. So, so yeah, it's heavily needed. Yeah, that's good. I can answer some of this too. I'm not the, <laughs> um, with, um, so yeah. Um, when I did other colleges, like when I tried out for different colleges, usually like the big thing is jazz and classical. That's like the two main things with a lot of universities, like, like Berkeley is kind of like a university but it was really not it's more like a it's an actual music school so the reason why i chose berkeley is because it had like other things like it had like indian had rock had um metal had um jazz had um hip-hop like just everything around the world and stuff and probably if i go to the other colleges if i discover more details about it i would probably see kind of a similar thing but it's not as like um intrusive as what berkeley does like it's berkeley just even teaching there and being a student there it's just it's a very great thing that um you get to learn from um a prestigious school that like teaches you like everything you want and everything you can it's just the best of the best and everything so yeah. Um, so you want to talk about like what is um, what was it like to teach at Boston Public Schools? Um, yeah, it was, you know, I enjoyed my time there. Uh, you know, I, I wish the program had a bit more resources, but uh, I'm glad they had a program. Um, 
you know, I started there. Um, I was teaching woodwind and brass for third grade all the way up through middle school. And so some of the students were were complete beginners, had never played an instrument. And so um, I ended up, I had a few students who were my students there that ended up going to Berkeley and they were in my ensemble at Berkeley. Mm. And, and so I had one particular trumpet student who was uh, um, a beginner. And then, you know, he was half my height. And then when he got to Berkeley, he was three, four inches taller than me. And uh, so, yeah, just to just to be a part of um, a student's early development, that, that was that was nice. I always uh, uh, was thankful to to be a part of that. Uh, um, yeah, I taught at a school in Mission Hill um, a couple of times, a couple of days a week. Um, yeah. And so it just kind of added to their their whole form of an education. You know, we learned not only about the instruments, but we learned about music, rhythm, you know, dance and songs. You know, I had a few students that ended up composing music, you know, by the end of their first or second, by the end of the second year. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. So um, I think it's something that, that you got to have, you got you got to really love to do it, you know, because um, you know, it can be a challenge at times, but but just to be able to see the end result, I think is what really matters, you know, seeing what they can do um at the end of the semester in their concerts, you know. So I'm just kind of working towards that every every week. We really have to be patient and and still still, you know, give the students a push and and instill the confidence in what they do because a lot of times they wouldn't believe in themselves or you know they have some some issues and so so yeah it's got its challenges but I think rewards they they really outweigh any of those challenges. Yeah I can definitely relate to that as a student and stuff. It's sometimes like um we just gotta um probably with like Berkeley in general, like sometimes, like it's it's like with me and um, you know Jerry Leak, mm-hmm. drummer. Yeah. So we were just talking about this. Um, was it like yesterday? We had our class, and we were thinking that like Boston, like Berkeley in general, is going to like it's they're giving us a lot of work and stuff to where like a lot of students they use like they use the health and wellness a lot, so. And I get it. Like, um, it's just, it's, um, like Berkeley is one of those schools where it gives you a lot, but it's really good reference and they give you a lot of like help and stuff. So there's like good and bad things about that and stuff. So it's just, mm-hmm. just something like that. And sometimes like they give you a lot to where you just, you don't have the confidence to do it any, anymore and stuff, but it's just, um, there's not a lot of people that have that much passion as um, like um, I, I'm trying to be one of those people that have that passion. And a lot of people drop out of Berkeley. A lot of people drop out of other colleges because they know like they probably got something else to do or they probably they just can't do it anymore. Like one of my roommates, he just, well, it was mainly financial needs, but um yeah, but it's just um, as long as you have that passion to um, to learn, and if you want to 
if you have that passion, then you're good to go and everything. So <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's um, that's all good stuff. Um, so what? So talking about um, your college, um, New England Conservatory. What did you study in that college? Yeah, I was a jazz performance major at that school um, in, in trumpet, jazz trumpet performance. So, uh, yeah, I, I studied with John McNeil. And, and at that school, you know, you can take, uh, you can split your studio. So one week you can study with somebody and then the next week you study with someone else. Um, so you can have two teacher, two private instructor, instructors per semester in a jazz department. And so... Um, Throughout my time there, I studied with Danilo Perez. He was there. Um, Jerry Baganzi, Cecil McBee, the bass player. Mm-hmm. Um, John McNeil was my main trumpet instructor. Um, uh, Bob Moses was there. And they had ensembles, big bands. And, you know, there was Solfege, you know, all the theory courses. And we had to take liberal arts. But it was mainly a performance-based school. It's a conservatory. So we 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 but focus mainly on playing, um, playing the instrument and stuff. So, so yeah, that was, that was my time. And I, I mean, I, I started school in 97 and I finished in 01. So. Mm. Yeah. Let's go to do some jazz and all that stuff. I think jazz, like just doing jazz kind of like, um, sums up everything with music. Cause jazz, jazz is like one of the most complex, genres to play in and stuff so it's like one of the harder sides of playing with jazz and stuff so um what's um what's it like playing clubs in boston uh well i played in a club uh called wally's down the street from berkeley oh i love wally's yeah, I know yeah. it's a great place yeah i played there for for many years uh and you know, when I was in school, you know, that, that club's always been there. It's been there since 1947. Um, there were, there were some other clubs around, uh, that aren't around now. Um, there was, there was a club, uh, called the Baritz in Dudley Square. That was a nice place. They had a session on Sundays. Um, there was, um McConley's that they actually closed down the week I moved to Boston. Uh that was around the corner from Wally's where the police station across the street from where the police station is near Northeastern. But they had they had a lot of music going on. Uh, there's a place in Austin called the Wonder Bar. Um uh, they had uh jazz seven nights a week uh when I was a student and mm. uh, I played there Thursday nights um for a couple of years. And uh there was where else? I mean, yeah, there were clubs peppered around. Um, some that are still there. Scullers is there. Regatta Bar, Lily Pad. Um, there were there was a place called the Good Life. There were three Good Lives actually. There were three. Um, it was kind of like a mini chain. There there was one downtown crossing. There was one in Central Square, and there was one on Saint Patrick Street. And they all had live jazz there. So there were there were clubs, um, you know, peppered everywhere and. Um, honestly, I think what happened is uh, when 9-11 happened, a lot of the tourism dropped. And so mm. a lot of places lost business and then places closed. Because, um, you know, Boston would attract a lot of international um, tourism. You know, people would come for, for conferences and vacations and stuff. But but after that, you know, um, a, lot of, a lot of places closed. But then some places reopened back up. So 
same thing that's happening now. You know, so so yeah, there there is a scene, but it's not as I don't think it's as many places to play as there used to be um when I was a student. And hopefully that'll that'll turn around. I heard the regatta bar reopened um uh not too long ago. So so that's good news. So um well I've definitely heard a lot about Wally's and stuff. And of course, I've only been here. I've, I've only been in Boston for two years. So mm-hmm. could you describe like, um, and this is after COVID, like, I don't know what Wally's was like before COVID. So would you want to explain like what it was in the 2000s, 2010s, like anything like that? Mm-hmm. Was it different than now and stuff? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that place was like a second school to me. You know, it's the place that I really learned how to play um, music for people, you know, because that's that's like a place where it's close to school um, and it attracts people who may not necessarily come to hear music. They may just want to come and have a beer with their friends, you know, after being off of work. And so when you're playing there, it's uh, a thing where, where like, can you play and, and be able to hold hold the audience you know, um, musically. So, so I, I learned, learned, you know, gradually year after year, gig after gig, you know, how to put together a set list and, you know, how to play and in, in a way that, that can really inspire people to say, Oh, what's that? You know? Oh, or, or a musician that will come down and say, Oh, wow. They've been working. On, oh, I need to go practice. You know? Cause when I first went down there, I would go in here, um, great trumpet players like Darren Baird, who teaches at Berkeley, Jeremy Pelt, and, mm. and they would play, um, you know, from like 9.30 to 2.30, 3 o'clock at night and, 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 and just play so well. And it's like, wow, man, if I could really get to that level and influence and inspire people too, maybe that would be a calling. So, um, you know, that, that, that club, they, they provided that stage for, for people to, to really hone their craft. You know, I, I played there for over, probably over 20 years. And, you know, not one time did they say, no, you need to play this way or play that way or, you know, not play so loud or or, or whatnot. And and so um, you kind of have like a, a, a artistic green pass to, to really experiment with things. And, and they, they, they put their trust in, in me um, to, to be able to have a, a band play there every week. I played there for Friday and on Fridays and Saturdays for uh, a number of years. And also I hosted a jam session on Sundays when I first started um, working there. Um, and in those sessions, those jam sessions, you know, students would come from from all over, from Berkeley, NEC, Longy, you know, other schools from out of town. There were people that would come up from New York, uh, come play with us. A dear friend of mine, Ambrose Akimusri, a great trumpet player. That's how mm. I initially met him. You know, he would take the bus up and and uh, play play with us at Wally's, and then go back to New York to you know Manhattan School where he was studying. And, um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, a fertile ground for you to meet musicians. Uh, you know, a lot of my uh, musical heroes would come down. Rohar Grove would come down whenever he was in town playing at either Scullers or Regatta Bar, wherever. After his gig, you know, he would come down to Wally's because he played at Wally's when he was a student at Berkeley. Mm. So, so you know, it's a place where where you meet, you know, a lot of great musicians. That's how I met Mark Turner, the uh, tenor player that I've uh, mm. uh, been working with and touring with uh, 
met him at Wally's. He played at Wally's when he was a student. So it's it's a a place to to really network and and meet people who are really serious about playing. It's a small place too. I don't know if you've been inside, but yes. Yeah, oh yeah, I've I've definitely been there. It's yeah. it's always like just very great musicians. And every mm-hmm. time I go there, it just just feels great mm-hmm. to be in there and stuff. Um, do you know um, Kevin Harris by any chance? Of course, that's my musical brother. Yeah, yeah. You for, have you played? Yeah. You play with him at Wally's, oh, right? Well, we played probably a thousand gigs together. Yeah, I, I've, yeah. I've interviewed him earlier and stuff. Oh, but he, cool. Yeah, he, um, I'm really, I've become really good friends with them and stuff. I've seen him. I think he played at Longy Music. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I went there and saw him. Fabulous composer and mm-hmm. piano player and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had uh, mean these great I had, musicians. I had Domi and JD Beck um, play with me at Wally's. Mm. Yeah, and they're they, you know, their their artistry is skyrocketed now. But but yeah, JD he played his first jazz gig with me at Wally's. That's what he told me. I don't think I don't believe him, but uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's what he told me when he was. Uh, in Boston for that short period of time. This must have been about uh, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, Wally's well, was a special place in all of us. And I'm I'm glad it's open after so many years and stuff, and they're still going and stuff. Yeah. Um. So what's it like for you in your in the music industry? Well, yeah, I don't I don't understand. What do you you mean like? outside of teaching or yeah it's like um like touring and like but any um albums like do you have any have you produced um what like um sorry um what's it like with your um music industry um for you now um well i've been playing in a couple of bands that tour uh uh i mentioned mark turner he's a great a tenor player composer uh, who went to Berkeley back in the uh, late eighties. Um, yeah. So I've been playing in his band for about 10 years now. Uh, a little over, yeah, about, about 10 years. Um, and I've been playing with a German Allison Miller uh, past few years, been touring a bit with her and recording and stuff. And, and, but yeah, it's, you know, I've been lucky to be able to play with a lot of, Lot of artists that I've kind of dreamt of playing with. Um, about 16 records as a leader that you know people that are listening to this can find on all the streaming services and compose a lot and arrange. Um, yeah, so yeah, I've just been been real fortunate to be able to um, you know get the get the phone to ring or the email asking them to play with, with people that I really admire. So, um, yeah, between that and teaching and, you know, I have a family, you know, it's been, it's been a blessing, I'd say. Yeah, it's good. You get to, um, get to do what you love to do. That's all, all the musicians I say, like, it just, you do what you love to do and stuff. Um, well, yeah, just something you're passionate about and just work for that and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I interviewed, um, Oh, I've got his name, you know. Um, you know Joseph Naj? Oh yeah, the violinist. Yeah. 
I just interviewed yeah. him last week and we oh, were talking cool. about with um we were talking about like with your career, like if you're passionate into music, it's not really a job for you. Like you're having fun yeah. working. You're still you're still getting paid and stuff, but you're having fun working. So it's not really a work, it's not really work for you or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the whole touring idea, you know, in the beginning when I was playing, uh, you know, you kind of view it as work, but but then you but just realize when you when you go tour, you know, playing's the easy part, but they pay you for the 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 traveling, you know, getting from place to place, the 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 haggles that can happen, and also being away from home, being away from your family, and you know, being away from not, you know, eating optimally and and stuff, and you know, just being at the mercy of you know whatever food's available and all that stuff. That's the stuff you get paid for. <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, yeah, it's definitely you have to really. Um, really enjoy playing the music once you're once you're playing with people because all that other stuff can you know make it not really worth it at all. Hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, I see what Joe's saying. He he's my uh, desk mate in, in at Berkeley. Our desks are beside each other mm. in the ensemble department. So yeah, yeah, he's he's. I think he's in mixed styles too. Yeah, a lot of yep. mm-hmm. a lot of people mixed styles. So um, let's talk about your albums, like. What was it like recording your first album? Oh, my first oh geez. Uh the the first one was for a small label in based in Spain called Iva Musica. Uh initially we were gonna have this session in Boston, but one of the members of my band fell ill. So we canned that session. We actually I actually got a, a sub for him in and we went to the studio. The studio was not good. It wasn't a good experience. So we canned that whole session, waited for about a year. And um, then we redid the session in New York um, with mm. a, a, a different, a New York band. By that time, I was playing with a saxophone player named Greg Osby. And um, and that was pretty much my first like ma- major touring experience was playing with him in Europe and stuff. And so when I came, when it came time for me to redo my first record, I asked him um if he'd be willing to play on the record and and also the drummer in that band this guy named tommy crane and the bass player a bassist named matt brewer um also joined and then i had a warren wolf a great vibraphone player and leo genovese a a great piano player and another tenor player named robbie coltrane he's john coltrane's son he played on my very first record wow and um, yeah, that was all originals. That was really uh, a risk. You know, most new artists, you know, in this genre, they'll put at least one or two stand- standards on a debut record. You know, that's not something that you see a lot of to have all originals on a debut record. But but I took a risk and, you know, I'm, I was happy with it. Uh, I tried to write songs that sounded like standards on it. So um yeah that was my first experience and that was with a label called Iva Musica and then after that uh um I did uh about 12 records with a label called Steeplechase that's based in Mm. Denmark and with them I was able to record a record one record a year that was my agreement with that that label and so uh some of those records I have my Boston-based band that I used at Wally's and then some records I have a New York-based band um on so um yeah 
So yeah, I, I did about 12 records with them. And then I did a, a record for a boutique label that was based in France called Nouvelle. Mm. And that's a subscription-based uh, label where you 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 pay a certain fee and then you get all the LPs. They only release an LP. And so you get the LPs that they record in a season. So they'll give you six, seven, maybe eight um, LPs. And uh, for that uh, label, I did a um, recording where it's pretty much all ballads, but all the ballads are played in a non-ballad way. And all the songs were under five minutes on that, in that project. Um, but most recently, I've been working with a a nonprofit that functions like a label, but they don't sell anything. And they're based in New York City, and they were started by a photographer and a music engineer. He's a he, he does recording engineer. He does live recordings. His name is Jimmy Katz. He's mm. like the Michael Jordan of jazz photography. Mm. Um, he's like a, one of the living legends of jazz photography. He does all the just about all the covers for Downbeat magazine, and you know his work's been in museums and 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 in all kinds of galleries in Europe and stuff. And, and so he's a highly celebrated uh, photographer, but he started a nonprofit because uh, um, a bunch of donors uh, pulled together and they approached him. They said, we really like your work that you've been doing in the jazz community with your photography and your live recording and stuff. And we like to help you uh, further, you know, everything you're doing. So they, they said, here's here's some funds, you know, start what you want. And so he started this nonprofit called Giant Step Arts. And um, so it's a label, but they don't sell anything. And so they um, give all of the, uh, the uh, you know, the publishing, all the royalties and everything goes straight to the artists. And, um, and then he hires uh, a uh, really great publicist named Ann Braithwaite does all the mm. campaigns for all the records that come out and he does the design, does the photo shoots for all the covers and stuff. So he's kind of, he's created a brand over the past five or six years. Um, so yeah, I've done uh, three recordings. My la latest three are um, on Giant Step Art. So I'm doing one this summer, um, a live record with uh, uh, Larry Grenadier, Mark Turner and Marcus Gilmore. Um, it's a live live recording at a club in Brooklyn called Ornithology. Mm. Um, it's scheduled, so I'm going to knock on wood that it actually happens because um, I've been been dreaming of putting together a, a project with uh, those those four. So, oh, that's awesome. Did they take? Um, did they get giant steps from the song Giant Steps? <laughs> John Coltrane. Um, well, 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 it's called Giant Step with no S on the end, so they didn't want to uh -huh. put the S on the end to. to they didn't want to face any any kind of legal stuff with that. So uh, yeah. giant, giant step arts. Yeah. I just, I just, I heard the name. I was like, I know yeah, that. It's very nice. similar. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you were mentioning about downbeat. Um, so I've heard downbeat and jazz writer, they wrote about you. What was that? How did that feel like? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I've, I mean, I've done about, yes, about 16 records as a leader. I think about seven or eight of them have been reviewed in downbeat. And uh, yeah, my first review in that magazine got four and a half stars. I mean, I'm, I, I, I don't put too much uh, weight and thought behind, you know, those reviews. But I really appreciate the, the, uh, the them, you know, including me in that magazine. You know, I, I subscribe to them, and I got a nice downbeat shirt. They got the best shirts, by the way. Oh wow! The shirts, the, the the cotton is just 
incredible. So if you're looking for like a nice shirt and you want to support the music, you know, check out their t-shirts. They're they're great. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, they ran a feature article on me uh, less than ten years ago. So was, you know, I was very fortunate, you know, to be included. But uh, you know, them and uh, uh, there aren't many other magazines now. I mean, Jazz Times just folded. You know, this it's no longer. So um that's those were the main two jazz magazines in the US. And mm-hmm. Jazz Times folded uh, about less than a month ago from what I read. So so yeah, I mean I yeah, I enjoy reading reading downbeat, reading the blindfold tests and everything. I did a blindfold test uh a couple of years ago with them too. So so yeah. Are you so playing your trumpet with the blindfolds on? No, no, no. <laughs> no <it's, laughs> They'll, they'll play they play music and you have to guess who it is and give it a rating oh okay yeah, yeah. i was wondering what you were talking about mm-hmm. and stuff yeah um speaking of shirts i have like a i have like a pink floyd shirt like i don't know i don't know what's made of but it's so comfortable and stuff like i don't remember i don't know i don't know if someone gave it to me but like it, it's so comfortable when you wear it like <laughs> so yeah um you were recording the um, Sudoku Suite, is that how you pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, I did. I did a record of Sudoku music. Yep, um, that was for Steeple Chase. So, so tell our listeners what a Sudoku game is for those who do may not know. Yeah, it's a it's a numbers game that's based on logic. It's kind of like a, a puzzle where there are nine three by three boxes. Mm. And within the three by three box, you have to put the numbers one through nine. And also the numbers one through nine have to appear all the way through the puzzle horizontally and all the way vertically. And they can't repeat. And so when you start a game, there are numbers already filled in. And the more numbers that are filled in, the easier the game is, the less, you know, vice versa. And so, yeah, that's how the game works. And so, um, yeah, I wrote, I wrote a, a serial, a, a suite of serial compositions, not the serial E, but like serial as in, you know, numbers, numbers-based uh, music. And I wrote a blog about this, and you can read about it in my blog, but I'll give you like my 30-second elevator uh, speech. And so what I did is I took, since there are nine numbers, I, I took nine keys of the 12. And for every song um, or every section of a song, I I assigned each number a note within that key. So mm-hmm. one through nine in a major scale, you got eight notes. And so number nine is the second note of the scale up an octave. One and eight are an octave, just like the, the you know, the song somewhere over the rainbow. Yeah. And so, and so when I wrote a song, the, the order of the notes in the melody had to correspond with the order of the numbers in the puzzle. Very creative. Okay. And so when I started writing, it sounded very robotic. It didn't sound like music to me. And so I said, how can I make this, how can I make this, give it more flavor? And so I said, okay, for each number that was a note, I gave myself the permission to make that note flat or sharp. So I had a choice of three notes instead of just one then. And so that's what made it really come alive. And that, and that's what kind of influenced me to be able to finish writing that uh, and recording that music. But yeah, so that, yeah, that, that took more than 30 seconds. It took about a minute and a half to explain it. But yeah, that's, you can check out my blog to go deeper into how that worked. But yeah. Oh, that's very, 
that's very interesting and stuff yeah that's um very creative what you what you did it's another way of composing and writing and stuff and it's not new i mean it's been done before you know people wrote music you know based on serial things like that or phone numbers or you know fibonacci sequences and stuff so all right, so let's shift gears to your um, first song you um, show us and stuff. So would you like to explain a little bit about it? Yeah, well, I, um, I did a record some years ago called Places, and it was a project of songs that I wrote in certain places where I was touring um, that I felt inspired to write in. And so, yeah, the first song is a song I wrote in Berlin the first time I played in Berlin. Um, I believe I was there with uh, maybe Grace Kelly or somebody like that. Oh, yeah. nice. I was in a small little hotel room, probably the smallest hotel room I'd ever been in. And I was like, let me write a song, <laughs> a song about this. So it's, it's it's a pretty short melody. It's only like 14 bars, probably represented the, the lack of space in the hotel room. But yeah, it's a like a slow, slow groove, slow jam song called Berlin. A lot of my ensembles at Berkeley. Um, play that song yeah i was um talking about small hotels like when i gone to boston my first time it was just it was so weird because i'm um when it was another small city but like um when i went to a hotel in boston it was so small but it was so expensive and stuff i was like yeah. it's a small hotel and stuff and mm-hmm. once again boston's just just an old like i think everything was smaller back then than now and stuff i probably yep. just realized mm-hmm. that yeah but anyways yeah um hopefully y'all enjoy the um the song um so hopefully y'all enjoy
So everyone, we're back. Um, great tune we got. Um, has a great, has that little funkiness in there, and um, seems like a few solos and stuff. Like what I discussed about earlier, reminded me of um, Dave Matthews' band. Um, Carter Beaufort, the drummer, he was one of my main influences in drumming, and just great drummer. And the whole band's really good. I think I saw them. You know the jazz and Heritage Festival in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. I went there and saw them. Have you ever? Have you ever played there or anything? Or I played in New Orleans, but not at that festival. No. Oh, okay. It's mm-hmm. it's a cool it's a cool festival and stuff. I usually go there. Mm-hmm. I can't go there this year because I get off later. But I usually mm-hmm. get to see them. I played there once um, with Donald Harrison, the yeah. um, mm-hmm. Tibetina's internship program. Um, mm-hmm. I went there my sophomore year, and I got to. We played a few songs, and then we played at the jazz tent so that was my first time playing at jazz fest and cool. hopefully later on i'll play there more times and stuff so yeah great tune um great tune great music oh, thank and everything. You. yeah thank you. so let's um let's get to the berkeley teaching so um you teach at berkeley obviously professor mm-hmm. um what's it like being a professor at berkeley I enjoy working with the students. Uh, you know, I work, most of my work's in the ensemble department. I also have some students in the brass department. Um, yeah. So, yeah, mo- like I was saying, most of my classes are um, small group jazz ensembles. And I have a few mixed styles ensembles. It, it alternates from semester to semester. And then I uh, teach a few core classes. I have a, a improv tech class and also a jazz repertoire class. Um so yeah, it's it's uh yeah, I really enjoy working working with students. You know, a lot of my ensembles are, you know how Berkeley has a leveling system. Most of my ensembles are twos, threes, and fours. Um I have one five um in the spring semester. I might have one in the fall this year too. Nice. Of, uh, small group jazz. But yeah, I'm I'm really interested in, you know, working with um students in that level and, you know, really helping them up there their their level of, of of playing of confidence of knowledge of what's what and everything so see so yeah, I yeah I enjoy my time there and you know I have office hours where I meet with other students some you know some I get some recital prep students at you know this semester I have a few private um, recital prep students that are really advanced um, one a couple in the global institute and stuff so um yeah i enjoy working working i also teach at new england conservatory um i teach uh oh your alumni college (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so i um have an ensemble and a handful of private students there and um i'll go out to arizona state i teach at arizona state a couple of times a semester i visit there i'm a visiting artist out in phoenix oh you're going all the way there wow Mm -hmm. yeah in this this semester uh i'm starting to teach at the jazz campus in in Basel, Switzerland. Oh wow. Um you know so I'm going out there on Saturday for uh about three or four days of teaching doing that this uh beginning of May and the beginning of June. So you go everywhere to teach. <laughs> yeah um so let's um so what do you focus mo- mostly on when you teach your students? You know um it 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 changes from student to student, but I think for the most part, um, 
I've been trying to focus mostly on rhythm, time, sense of time, time feel, um, and sound. You know, I think when I when I first uh, started, you know, teaching this music, it was mostly about the ideas. You know, how how hip of an idea. You know, what what you can what you can, what can you play over two five one? You know, how can we do substitutions and stuff? But uh, you know, yes, I, I focus on that in some of my some of my classes. You know, later in the semester in my improv tech class, we'll we'll focus on some of those idea things. But in the beginning, we focus mostly on rhythm. You know, dealing with subdivision syncopation you know being able to to play like what is swing you know you know just working on swinging together playing together swinging a metronome you know and and just interpreting different tempos and you know what does it mean to play ahead of the beat on the beat behind the beat you know what styles of music has that you know when is it appropriate to do it when is it not you know so a lot of a lot of things um that have to do with rhythm, especially when I'm dealing with non-drummers, you know, because because drummers that's that's your life, you know, working with, working with with rhythm and stuff. But uh, you know, horn players, you know, um, chordal instrument players, you know, if we treat our instruments more like drums, then our sense of time and rhythm can be a lot more strong. So, so I've been trying to focus more more on that stuff, I'm just trying to balance it out because I know my disposition is to always want to focus on okay what notes are going to fit as opposed to how you play that note you know yeah just as a drummer like of course you have to learn rhythm that's like the main thing but like rhythm can be in good use with everyone and stuff mm -hmm. so rhythm rhythm is just a it's a huge thing and playing music and trying to stay together and stuff so definitely like um Every musician that wants to play any instrument needs to know rhythm, in my opinion, and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, do you give any private lessons to, like, within college or outside of college or anything? Yeah, well, I work, yeah, I work in the brass uh, department. So, yeah, I have private students at Berkeley and also recital prep students. And at NEC, I have, yeah, students that take private lessons. And, I mean, I've had, uh, like, a couple of private students you know, outside of school, but, but not, not many though. So. Hmm. All right. Well, um, well, let's go to your other song. So would you want to talk a little bit about it before we show to the oh, yeah. viewers? Yeah. Yeah. This next one, uh, yeah, it's called Falling In and it's on the same record called Places. And <clears throat> I wrote this one in Paris and I was walking along the river there, uh, the same, right? That's the main river there. And, um, and I was walking along the edge, right on like they have like these these boulders, and I just heard this melody in my head. And as I was hearing this melody, uh, I felt like the you know when you're standing at the edge of something, you can feel this kind of force pulling you over, like you want to fall into the water. And so I, I called the song "Falling In" because of the force of the the song, uh -huh. the melody that I heard in my head at the time. So, so yeah, that sounds more of an upbeat kind of song in a in a uh like a six four kind of big three kind of rhythm on, on this one so yeah like before we show it to the viewers is there any access we can get to your music like if anybody wants to listen to you is there any yeah, access I a, yeah i have a website uh jason palmer music um which you can find i have a band camp uh page you know where i, where I 
sell physical products and have a CD baby um, page. And you can find my music on all the streaming services, you know, so um, some of my more recent releases aren't on all the streaming services yet. But uh, but yeah, all the steeplechase stuff is on there. The label, they put everything up on Spotify and Apple Music and stuff. So, so yeah. All right. So, yeah, there you go. Um, hopefully y'all enjoy the next song. Thank you. 
All right, guys, um, we're back. Um, definitely another great piece. Kind of remind me, um, has that kind of jazz and fusion, f- jazz fusion feel, um, in my opinion, stuff. Kind of, kind of like Latin mambo, jazz fusion feel. Is that like kind of one of your influences to make that song? Uh, for this one, it was, uh, you know, it, it was more of listening to a group called Fly, which is a trio with uh, with Mark Turner, the saxophone player that I mentioned, Jeff Ballard and Larry Grenadier. You know, some of the music that they that they uh, that they have put out, you know, it kind of influenced me of kind of like a world world music kind of thing. Yeah, um, actually, speaking of, um, you know, the Marsalis brothers, the ones, Wynn Marsalis, mm-hmm. all those Marsalis yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, I I played with Wynn. yeah, I played in the Lincoln Center Orchestra once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, very talented. Um, I think I saw, you know, Stan Moore? Stan Moore? Yeah. Uh, for, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen him. He played with the... Um, marsalis brothers and stuff and mm-hmm. just yeah great um stan moore was one of my drum teachers while i was in high school like i didn't just do like march band and everything in high school i went to like i did the tibetina's internship with donald harrison i did a tibetina's youth workshop um i met a band um i think they they let out a song called wish to knew you when i was young um mm-hmm. so those were one of the guest bands that came in and I got to play with them. And that was before they got like, they released their hit and they got up there and stuff. So it was a big privilege to play with them. And um, and then a few years later, I got to see them play at the, the big stage at jazz fest. So Mm -hmm. I thought it was pretty cool. And then um, of course meeting Donald Harrison jr. Great guy. And um, get to play with him. And then like, um, there was like one time we just sat there and he just like soloing on a saxophone for like 30 minutes straight, like nonstop. I'm like, dude, you're crazy. Just going like just all jazz chromatics and just like everything you could think of and stuff. It was just mind blowing. So, and then Stan Moore, I got to go to his, um, he did um, drum camps. Um, I think it was like, it was called the Stan Moore drum camps. It was right by the, St. Louis Cathedral. I went there and did that stuff. But that was, yeah, got to be taught by these great musicians and get to interview these great musicians later on. Mm-hmm. So, cool. yeah, um, New Orleans, definitely special place. Also, Boston. Um, so, talking about low theater. So, we give music lessons with the, the website. Um, do you think we as educators and musicians can do more to support people who really don't have the access to learning a musical instrument? Yeah, we can, but you know, we, we need a lot of help in doing that. You know, there are, I think there are, are um, organizations that could, could do more, you know, there are nonprofits. Um, I don't know if, if the Lily theater company is a nonprofit, but you know, there yes. Are so yeah. yeah, let me, um, I think I forgot to talk to you about this, but you were talking about a nonprofit um, a few minutes ago. But yeah, we are a nonprofit. I'm also the drum instructor 
for a little theater company. So I do, I do a lot of stuff with this. I do interviews and I used to be the production assistant and I help with sound for like plays and stuff. So we do a lot with this company that we try to help and we try to teach lessons to anyone around the world that doesn't have access to like Berkeley or any other colleges and stuff. Just, um, just, we, we just try to give it out to people that, um, um, don't really have the access to it. So that's why I was just saying that because Lily theater, we try our best to, um, help people out with, um, getting better with music and anybody who wants to do music and doesn't have the access, we can be there for them and stuff. So yeah, we're yeah. definitely a nonprofit organization. So, yeah. So, I mean, as I was saying in the beginning, uh, there, there's no reason why there shouldn't be more corporations and municipalities stepping up to help organizations like yours, um, you know, put more instruments in the hands and, and more music knowledge into the minds of, of people who want to, you know, better themselves by getting better at that. So, um, you know, it's, yeah. And, and, and I think the the more help we get on that end, the the more help that you could give to students that, that need it, you know? So, so yeah, it's, it's a, a progression of, of things that, that, that need to happen in order for things to get better. Yeah. Great words right there. And we try our best to do it and stuff. And I always need more. I always need more music and everything. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I was, um, I would say with music in general, like it's like one of the most, it's like the biggest thing in your life. Like you can hear it in the radio that you put on all the time in your car. You can hear it in restaurants. You can hear it in stores, you shop in. Like just everywhere you go, you hear music. Mm-hmm. It's not just yeah. Berkeley where you hear every single student playing mm-hmm. music and stuff. It's everywhere. Yeah. Like everywhere you mm-hmm. go, you hear music, especially big cities like busking. You, you see like all these people just mm-hmm. out on the street, like they're not doing really anything to make money. Mm-hmm. So they busk and they do, they use their talent or use their ability with music to make money just out on the street. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. So, um, what have you been bringing you music this past year? Um, well, 2022, 2023, I know we're a little bit early on 2023, but yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't get the first part of the question. What have I been? Um, what have you been bringing you music, um, this past year? What bringing? Yeah, bringing your music. Oh, where? Oh, uh, saying what? like, um, what? Well, where? Yeah, I'm sorry. Where have you been bringing your music in this past year? Um. Well, I mean, I've been working a lot as a side person lately. Uh, uh, was I don't know when this is going to air, but I'm I'm playing as a leader on May 10th in the Common. They're they're opening up a a beer garden. Hmm. So, so I'm playing there from six to eight with the trio. Um, tomorrow I'm playing at Harvard university as a part of their arts festival. They have an arts festival they do every year. Oh, nice. But, uh, but yeah, I've, I've been spending a lot of time composing the past few months. So 
between that and playing with other people's bands and stuff, I've been touring with, with Mark Turner and Allison Miller, um, doing a tour with Mark in the U.S. on the West Coast uh, uh, in the middle of May after school's done. And then we're doing a European tour in uh, in July mm. for a couple of weeks. So, so yeah, as in like my music and my playing is mostly with other people's bands, but with my like compositions and the stuff that I write with my own band, you know, that's uh, I haven't done done much because uh, I've been writing a lot and, and just been more occupied with teaching and playing other people's music. So, yeah, you were talking a little bit about the rest of 2023, but what's your vision for 2023? Mm-hmm. What's your, what's your vision for, um, for um, um, the rest of 2023? Well, uh, I have the, uh, the live thing in, at the end of August. So I've been mostly writing, writing for that. And uh, yeah. And I know Mark Turner wants to do some recording at the, towards the end of the year too. So he's been composing too. So so that and, you know, becoming a better teacher, you know, better father, better husband, you know. Um, we just moved, we, we're up in New Hampshire now. Um, we just moved into a new house at the end of uh, October last year. So working on making the place um, a very personal space, you know. So we're putting a lot of work into the place now. And so, yeah, that's more the vision. vision yeah, New Hampshire's New Hampshire's beautiful. Always. Yeah, it's it's beautiful up there, man. There. We're like uh eighty about eighty five miles north of, of Berkeley, mm-hmm. in the in the Lakes region, and uh, yeah, it's it's beautiful up here. It's very quiet and peaceful. Yeah, I've been to the um, Drum Center Portsmouth up there. Yeah, that's where I got yeah. my I got my um, drum kit. I have like a pancake yeah. drum kit. Yep. Yeah. I went mm-hmm. there, and it's definitely a great place to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm about an hour, hour, hour north of there, but yeah, it's nice. There's some nice clubs up there too. Oh, nice. So yeah, yeah. Um, if you could perform with anyone living or not living, um, who would you perform with, and why? Oh, geez, it's, yeah. I don't know. Maybe Art Blakey. Uh Would have loved to. Played played uh, with Art Blakey in nineteen, you know, fifty nine. You know that would have been been something. Uh, yeah, well, Horace Silver or I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So basically, all the all yeah. the big jazz artists, Art Blakey's, or played played Miles ahead. Davis band. You know, played in his band, but like sub for him. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's really good. Mostly jazz artists, and they're, they're all really good and stuff. Um, probably with me as a drummer, I'll, um, Neil Peart, um, great drummer, um, Buddy Rich, um, mm-hmm. everyone. <laughs> so um, yeah, um, so what are um, what are some parting words you would like to leave us with? You know, uh, I'd say always strive for beauty in what you do. You know, beauty and truth. You know, you got to stay stay true to 
to what you are and who you feel and what and 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 connecting what that sounds like when, whenever you perform and and um yeah you know whatever that means to you mm -hmm. you know and, and try to inspire uh, and, and stay inspired you know always seek seek beauty and 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 i don't know sophistication and and enjoy in the music that you listen to you know and the stuff that that you're inspired by and i'm just speaking for music art but i mean it also applies to you know a lot of other um genres of art so so yeah just just go 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 for that nowadays because you know there's there's a lot of a lot of other stuff out there so you gotta just just always seek uh stuff that's a force for good you know there's a, i was reading a quote uh, by john coltrane where he um talked about wanting his music to be a force for real good and he understood that there are a lot of forces that are out there that aren't for good but he wanted to to uh do the exact opposite so so yeah just just always strive for for looking for that and, and exuding that in your own Art. Yeah, I would I would contribute to that. I would say like if you're not learning, you're not living. Right, right. So mm -hmm. yeah, just even though if you're like the greatest, if you earn a doctor's degree, if you're a professor, if you're just like the greatest musician in the world, you're still like you can still learn and stuff mm -hmm. like I definitely definitely um I think um there's a lot of people that said that but that's a very good quote that just sticks to me and stuff so mm -hmm. just contributing to our own thoughts but yeah that's it for our interview well, um Jason yeah. Palmer thank you so much for taking your time and pleasure to be part of this great fantastic interview um yeah and also interviewing these other artists and stuff and very inspiring person to talk to and keep up the good work with being oh. a musician and stuff being the professor and um hope everybody enjoyed the video and if you like to um um if you like to take lessons from this nonprofit, um go to www.louistheatercompany.org so so we'll see y'all around yeah thank you william yeah thank you little.